as they leave, we'll grab our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5 this morning. Genesis chapter 5, and uh, as we begin this morning, let's just read from verse uh, 21. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years, and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred, sixty, and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. Uh, let's just open our time uh, with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, once again for the opportunity to be here this morning. We pray, Lord, as we come around your word now, that you would uh, bless our time, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts uh, through the passage before us, Lord. I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit now, that you give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, and that, Lord, you would uh, be honoured and glorified this morning uh, through our time in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, <clears throat> last Sunday evening, we looked at Genesis chapter 5 and we did sort of an overview of the whole chapter there, uh, basically considering uh, the, the book of the generations of Adam. Okay, that's what chapter 5 is. We consider the generations of Adam. We we looked at the, the promised seed uh, being traced through the descendants of Seth. And we had uh, that genealogy given to us that gave us ten pre-flood patriarchs, beginning with Adam, of course, and going through to Noah. And, of course, as we saw, each of them, we, we're given their, their name, we're given their age when the next one in line is born, and we're given the age that they died. And this means that we're able to gain an understanding of the chronology, gain an understanding of the timeline here. Okay, as we said, uh, there's no evidence that there's any names missing, and so we can follow it through and we can add them up and figure out the, the timeline here. And it means that, as we saw, there's 1,656 years from creation to the flood. And we saw also that because of the, the long lives that these men lived, uh, many of them overlapped with one another. They were alive basically all at the same time. Adam, for instance, as we saw, he lived right up until Lamech, the father of Noah, was 56 years old. We also noted that uh, eight times in that chapter, there's that phrase, and he died. And so each of these men, despite their extremely long lives, most of them living to 900, despite their extremely long lives, they still eventually died. Now, when Adam sinned in the garden, death passed upon all men, spiritual death and physical death. And all of Adam's descendants were born sinners. They were born in his image, fallen nature, even those in the godly line of Seth. And so like the descendants of Cain, they're sinners, and they still suffered the physical consequence of death. Of course, the only one in that list to avoid that fate is the man Enoch. Now, it's interesting that when we consider the list of Cain's descendants in chapter 4, alongside the list of 
Seth's descendants in chapter 5, there's two names that appear in both lists, the name Enoch and the name Lamech. And so there's men in both lines bearing the same names. You know, while their names are the same, their characters are completely different. Completely different. You know, the descendants of Cain, as we saw, were these worldly men chasing after worldly pursuits with no desire to seek after God. On the other hand, the Enoch and Lamech recorded here in chapter 5 are godly men, men whose lives reflected this truth. And so this morning we want to consider these two godly men in the line of Seth, in the promised line, if you like, the, the, the promised seed. Uh, the man Enoch and the man Lamech. And so first of all this morning, let's look at the man Enoch. Let's just read there again from verse 21. It says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. <clears throat> and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. We have Enoch. Enoch truly is a unique uh, case in the word of God. He's unique because he doesn't suffer the fate of physical death. Instead, the Lord takes him home to be with him. Verse 24 there says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was not, for God took him. God took him home to be with him before death. In the New Testament, this statement here in Genesis chapter 5 is clarified for us in Hebrews chapter 11. Let's just turn over there, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 and verse 5 <clears throat> of course, this is the, the faith chapter, the hall of faith. Here is chapter 11, <clears throat> verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated, that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. Before his true translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And so the New Testament clarifies for us, it says Enoch was translated, that he was taken in bodily form, from earth to heaven to be with the Lord. He didn't see death. And so it's truly a a unique case in the Word of God. Of course, there's one other, and we'll talk about him later on. Unique case in the Word of God, and it tells us that there's something unique about his character too. There's something wonderful about Enoch's character that leads to the Lord taking him home to be with him before death. And when we consider Enoch... And we look at why God took him, there's two things that stand out about him. And they are his walk with God, and secondly, his prophetic ministry. So let's first of all consider his walk with God. Go back to Genesis chapter 5 with me. Genesis chapter 5, verse 22 we read, It says, And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years, and begat sons and Daughters, And then in verse 24 it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Twice here in this passage we read this phrase, Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. This is obviously a key uh, reason why the Lord takes him home to be with him. It's obviously a key ingredient here, this walk with the Lord. But what exactly does it mean here when it says that Enoch walked with God? Now, back in Genesis chapter 3, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they had a walk with God, didn't they? They had a walk with God where it talks about how God walked with them in the cool of 
the day. He walked and talked with them. Uh, Genesis 3, let's just look at verse 8 there. Genesis 3, verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So in Genesis 3, verse 8, we're, we're told that they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this suggests to us that God, most likely God the Son, Jesus Christ, appeared in bodily form and actually walked with them, talked with them, had fellowship with them there in the garden. And it was a common occurrence. I mean, this was not something unusual. It's a common occurrence. And so when he came on this particular day, they hide themselves because something's changed, hasn't it? Adam and Eve sinned. And we talked about that extensively there in Genesis chapter 3. The relationship changed because of their sin. And so that close literal walk that they had with God was lost. It was lost because of their sin. And so when it says here in Genesis 5 that Enoch walked with God, it's not talking about this uh, literal walk with the Lord like Adam and Eve enjoyed. It's not talking about that same kind of walk. Rather, it's talking about a spiritual walk with the Lord. That's what it's talking about here. A spiritual walk with the Lord each day. You see, Enoch walked in a close relationship with God. Now, this is something that he would have maintained through spending time in prayer, you know, and and communing with God. He would have maintained it by obeying God's commands, seeking to live in obedience to his God. And all of this meant that he had a close, personal relationship with God. That's what it's talking about here. When it says that he walked with God, it's talking about his sweet fellowship with God. You know, this walk would not have been easy for Enoch. Let me remember that. This would not have been easy for Enoch. Imagine how hard it would have been for him during these days when wickedness is increasing all the time. It's, it's increasing exponentially towards the flood. That's where we're heading. Okay, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Let's just turn over there. In Genesis 6 and verse 5 we read, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, God talks about how wicked and sinful the earth has become. You know, the, the thoughts of their hearts is just wickedness all the time, to the point that God decides he's going to judge the earth. He's going to send the flood. And so in Enoch's day, that's what's happening. The wickedness is increasing. The point is that Enoch's walk with God was something unique. He stood out from the crowd. He was standing out from those around him. You see, in a time when the majority of people are walking away from God, Enoch is walking closer to God. That's why he's recorded here like this. Okay, The, the majority of people are heading away from the Lord, even those on the side of Seth too. Okay, Maybe not the ones recorded for us, those ten patriarchs, but they're not the only ones on Seth's side, are they? Okay, And so the majority of people are walking away from God, but Enoch, Enoch draws closer to God. And he has this sweet fellowship with the Lord each day. He's walking and living by faith. Now in the passage we read earlier there in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told that Enoch was a man of faith. It says, by faith, Enoch was translated. And so his faith was a, a big part of this walk with God, wasn't it? His faith is a big part of the reason that he's translated to go home to be with the Lord. 
Now, Enoch lived by faith, and the writer of Hebrews tells us that because of that, he pleased God. Let's just turn back over there, Hebrews chapter 11. Here is 11, where we were before. Let's read again verse 5. It says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then in verse 6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek him. Notice that verse 6 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not unlikely, it's impossible to please God. And so it tells us that Enoch's faith is a key part of his relationship with the Lord, isn't it? Okay, it's a key part of his walk with God. The reason he pleased God is because of his faith in his God. This was essential to his close walk with the Lord each day. You know, it's important for us to understand that the close walk that Enoch had with God is something that God wants us to have. It's something God wants us as believers to enjoy today. There's plenty of passages in the New Testament that talk about, it, about this. Let's just go to Colossians first of all. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Colossians 2, and let's read verse 6 and 7. It says, And ye have there, sorry, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now Paul tells us here to walk in the Lord, and he talks about being established in the faith, rooted and grounded in the faith. And so Paul is talking about the fact that we need to have this close relationship with the Lord, this close walk with the Lord. And it's a walk that's grounded in faith. In Galatians chapter 5, likewise we're told to walk in the Spirit. Let's just turn over there, Galatians 5. Galatians 5 and verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And then in verse 25 as well, it says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And so in Galatians, Paul says that we need to walk in the Spirit. And again, that's the same idea of walking in that close relationship with the Lord. Build upon our faith, and you know, establishing that faith, and we're walking in a close relationship with God each day. And Paul says here, he says, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we're walking in the Spirit... We won't do what the flesh desires. We'll do what God desires. And then lastly, in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we're told to walk by faith, not by sight. Again, the same idea, walking in that close relationship with the Lord. We're walking by faith in Him. We're not walking by sight, what we can see. We're living by faith each and every day. You see, the point is that this walk that Enoch had with God is not something, uh, you know, not some mystical experience that we can never have. I think it's important we understand that. You know, at times we read about these godly men in the Old Testament or New Testament, we think what they have with God we can't ever have. That's not true. 
The walk that Enoch had with God is the same walk that we can have with God. And in a sense, we've got a better starting point. You know why? Because we've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within. So in a sense, we've already got a, a leg up. You know, we've got a starting point. The Holy Spirit's within our hearts telling us what's right and wrong, helping us. And so the point is that it's not some mystical experience we can't have. We can have this walk with God. And indeed, God wants us to have this walk with Him. God wants us to walk each day in sweet fellowship with Him. Walking in faith each day. Walking in the power of the Spirit each day. You know, that daily we draw closer to Him. And, and you know, the question might be, well, how do we do that? Well, we do that by spending time in God's Word, don't we? We do it by spending time each day in the Word of God and allowing God to speak to us. Allowing the Spirit to speak to our hearts. And then we also do it by spending time in prayer, talking to Him. Spend time with the Lord each day. You know, as it says in Corinthians there, as we do that, the Spirit will change us from glory to glory. The Spirit will help us to walk closer to the Lord. See, God's desire is that we walk with Him each day in the light of His glorious Word. And that's what Enoch did here. Enoch had this wonderful walk with God. Now, as we've already mentioned, this walk resulted in him being taken home to be with the Lord. That's the result of his walk. God took him home before he died physically. In Hebrews 11 there, as we've seen, it says that he was translated. Translated, taken in bodily form to be with God. So it's a unique, remarkable thing. You know, Morris writes about this. He says, somehow, in actual physical flesh, Enoch was supernaturally carried up to heaven, where presumably he still is today. You see, some people you know, seeing this a picture of the rapture. You know, maybe there is a little bit. But when we're raptured, we receive a spiritual body, don't we? Okay? We're changed to be like Christ. We receive a new and glorious body. Enoch here is translated in his bodily form to be with the Lord. He doesn't receive this spiritual body. He's still in that bodily form with the Lord. It's, it's a unique experience here. Translated to be with God. You know, there's only one other man in the Word of God who is taken up to heaven without dying in bodily form, and that is Elijah. And we know that. Let's go over to 2 Kings and just read the account. 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings 2 and verse 11. It says, and it came to pass, as they stood, no, sorry, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. We know this story well, but here's the other man in the word of God who's taken to heaven in bodily form to be with the Lord before he dies physically. He's translated, like Enoch, translated to heaven, And so these two men are unique. And they, they're unique in the word of God. They're now dwelling with God before death. Now as we consider the rest of the word of God, there seems to be a reason why these two men were taken before death to be with the Lord. You see, it seems likely that God has a further ministry for these two men. A further ministry in the future. 
And that seems to be as his two witnesses during the tribulation. There's two witnesses mentioned for us in Revelation chapter 11. Let's just turn over there. As we talk about this, I'm not categorically saying that they are definitely Enoch and Elijah. Okay, but there is indications that possibly they are. Okay, uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 3. <clears throat> it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the, Lord, sorry, before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindred and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they shall dwell upon, uh, sorry, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry and send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. And great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they sent it up uh, to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And so Revelation chapter 11, we have this uh, remarkable event that will occur during the tribulation. These two witnesses, these two prophets as they're called, will come and, and testify unto the people. And they will send plagues and all sorts of things. They have a ministry during the tribulation. Um, and so these two men, and they are men in Revelation 11, they can't be angels. And that's clear because when they finish their testimony, they die. Angels don't die. Okay? They die and they're, they're dead for three and a half days and then they're raised back to life and ascend into heaven to be with the Lord. And so they're definitely not angels. They are two men, two prophets, sent to witness during the tribulation. As I said, many believe that these two witnesses are Enoch and Elijah. And it kind of makes sense. Then why these two men were taken to heaven by God before they saw death. Um, some people point to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, where it says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. And the only two men in the word of God who didn't die are Enoch and Elijah, and so perhaps, Revelation 11, it is them who come and witness. Uh, and so it is definitely possible that they are these two witnesses, although they're not named here in Revelation 11. And so as I said, I'm not categorically saying that they definitely are 100%. Okay, because I can't do that. Okay, they're not named for us here in Revelation 11. But it does seem probable. Probable that Enoch is one of these men. Especially when we consider, secondly this morning, his prophetic ministry. We've looked at his walk with God. Now let's secondly look at his prophetic ministry. You know, the New Testament makes it clear to us that Enoch was a prophet of God. A prophet of God warning of the coming judgment upon the earth. Now, Enoch, he wasn't hiding 
his faith as he was walking with the Lord. He wasn't hiding and he wasn't some recluse, you know, hiding away in a monastery somewhere. He was amongst the people and he was preaching and teaching about the wickedness in the earth and about the fact that judgment is coming. Jude tells us about this. Go to Jude, the book of Jude, and we're going to read from verse 14. Jude, verse 14, it says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Here we have a prophecy of Enoch given to us by Jude. And in this prophecy here, we see Enoch boldly declaring the day of judgment is coming. The Lord's coming to execute judgment upon the earth. He talks about a day when God will execute judgment upon all. Now, as we read this prophecy here in Jude, it's clear that he's talking about the second coming of Christ. That's what, that's what Enoch is prophesying about. Okay? He's talking about the second coming of Christ to earth. He says there in verse 14, And Enoch also, the servant from Adam, prophesied of thee, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all. That's the second coming of Christ. That's the Lord returning from heaven with his saints, with his heavenly host, to judge mankind, to judge the earth. Now remember, this is way back before the flood. This is the seventh from Adam, Enoch, and he is prophesying about the second coming of Christ before Christ ever came the first time to die upon the cross. But even here in the pre-flood world, God has his servant Enoch declaring the day of judgment is coming. The day when men will stand before the judgment seat of God. You know, Revelation 20. John speaks about this day. Let's just go over there. Revelation 20. In Revelation 20, in verse 11, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up. Sorry, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. The day of judgment is coming. In Revelation 20, John speaks about that day when Christ will come. He will come back to earth. He will judge mankind, those who have rejected him. And that's what Enoch was declaring in that prophecy recorded by Jude, prophesying of this way back before the flood, the second coming of Christ. Now, I think this tells us a couple of marvelous things. Well, at least a couple of things came to my mind this week. Now, the first of all is that God's plans never change. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God's plans never change. It was certain in Enoch's day that Christ was coming again to judge the earth, that God was going to judge the sin and wickedness of man. It was certain then, and it's certain today. 
Christ is coming again to execute judgment upon the earth. The second coming is approaching. That day is coming. And the second point is that our God is a gracious, long-suffering God. Isn't that the second thing that comes out of this? Our God's grace and long-suffering. You know, he revealed to Enoch way back then what was coming, and God is still holding back that judgment today. You realize that? He still has not you know, brought that judgment in the form there upon the earth. That day of judgment still hasn't come, but it is closer than ever before. It is fast approaching. You know, another intriguing aspect of Enoch's prophecy or his prophetic ministry is seen in the name of his sons. Let's just go back to Genesis chapter 5. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 5, and we'll read from verse 21. Genesis 5, verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And if you drop down to verse 25, it says, And Methuselah lived 180 and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech 780 and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. We're told that Enoch, when he's 65, he has a son. And he calls his son Methuselah. Now the name Methuselah has been interpreted by many to mean when he dies, it shall be sent. Or when he dies, judgment. And so this name suggests to us that when Methuselah was born, God revealed to Enoch about the coming judgment of the flood. He revealed to Enoch what was soon going to happen upon the earth. God revealed that to Enoch, that he was going to judge the earth, but he also gave Enoch a promise that until Methuselah died, it wouldn't come. As long as Methuselah lived, the judgment wouldn't come. When he died, it comes. Indeed, when we look at the chronology given to us there in Genesis chapter 5, Methuselah dies in the exact year that the flood comes upon the earth. And so he's alive as Noah's building the ark. Yeah, he's alive during that time. He dies in the exact year the flood comes, fulfilling this prophecy in his name. You know, it's also interesting then that Methuselah is the man recorded in the Bible as living the longest. As we just read there in verse 27, it says, And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. He lives 969 years. Why is that significant? Why is it significant that he's the one who lives the longest? Well, it's significant because it speaks once again about the grace and the long-suffering of God, doesn't it? The judgment revealed to Enoch at Methuselah's birth doesn't come for almost a thousand years. God extends it. God gives him the longest life out of all of them. God gives them all of these years. Mankind had 969 years of warning that judgment was coming. To get things right with God, to repent. So once again, we see the long-suffering of our God, don't we? His grace, His patience with man. Now, 1 Peter 3, verse 20, speaks of God's long-suffering during this time. Let's just turn over there, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, and verse 20. It says, which sometime were disobedience 
when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. See, God was long-suffering during this time. He waited. He waited. He held out as long as he could. He gave man time. That's still true today, isn't it? Mankind has had almost 2,000 years since Christ came and Christ died upon the cross. They've had 2,000 years to prepare for his coming. And the other reason that Christ hasn't yet returned to bring that judgment upon the earth is because of his long-suffering. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 tells us that. 2 Peter <clears throat> Second Peter 3 and verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't Christ come back yet? Because God is long-suffering. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to go to heaven to be with him. And so God is giving man time in his grace and in his love. You know, that day is coming when God's patience will run out. His patience will run out. It will come to an end and judgment will come. Now the question today is, are we ready for that day? In other words, are we saved? So we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. So there's only one way to escape the coming judgment, and that's through faith in the finished work of Christ there on the cross. And that brings us now to our second character back in Genesis chapter 5, the man Lamech. We won't spend as much time on Lamech this morning, but Genesis chapter 5, let's just read from verse 28. It says, And Lamech lived a hundred eighty and two years, and begat a son. And he called his son Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work, and told of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were seven hundred seventy and seven years and he died. And Noah was five hundred years old and Noah begat Shem, Ham and Japheth. We've considered Enoch this morning. We've looked at his walk with God. We've looked at his prophetic ministry. And now just quickly... We want to look at what's said about his grandson, this man, Lamech. You know, once again, he bears the name of one of the descendants of Cain. You know, there's a descendant called Lamech in Genesis chapter 4, isn't there? We focused on him. He was this wicked man, a man who killed someone else and bragged about it, a man who had two wives. He set the, the, the precedent for polygamy. And his sons were wicked sons. I mean, Lamech in Genesis chapter 4 is not a godly man. By contrast, here in Genesis chapter 5, Lamech, like his grandfather Enoch, seems to be a prophet of God. And we see this in verse 29, when Lamech calls his son Noah. Noah's name means rest. Well, some say comfort, but it means rest. And we're told the reason for this name is in the second half of the verse. Okay, It says in verse 29, and he called his name Noah, saying... This same shall comfort us concerning our work and to all of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Lamech prophesied of a coming time when the curse would be removed. 
He prophesied of a coming time when mankind would have rest, when they would have comfort. And indeed Noah would be the means by which man would be preserved from the judgment to come, the judgment of the flood. And so Noah brought salvation, he brought rest and deliverance to mankind. But of course Noah doesn't perfectly fulfill the name, does he? Okay. Ultimately Lamech's prophecy of rest and deliverance from the curse can only be fulfilled, be fulfilled in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised seed. Morris writes this, he says, Noah, as the one who would by his ark preserve life, as the cursed earth was being cleansed by the waters of the flood, was only a precursory fulfillment of Lamech's prophecy. The promised seed was still future, but in him and his promised coming were true rest and comfort. And that's the point. Noah and the ark are really a picture of the deliverance that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Enoch prophesied to us, as we saw, of coming judgment. Lamech prophesied of coming rest. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You've got judgment and rest. Judgment coming for those who don't believe, rest coming for those who believe. Rest is only found through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can truly comfort us, truly deliver us from the curse of sin and death. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Also in Hebrews 4, verse 3, it says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. See, it's a wonderful thing. For us who are saved, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, we have entered into rest. Rest that can only be found in Christ. Deliverance from the judgment that is to come. He took that upon himself. We've been delivered and we found rest in Christ through faith in him. And so I wonder today, have you found that rest? Have you placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Without him, as Enoch prophesied, judgment is coming. Let's close this morning with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for these two men way back at the beginning here, Enoch and Lamech. Lord, Enoch, his wonderful walk with you, his prophetic ministry, Lord, God, declaring the coming judgment. And Lord, Lamech, declaring the coming rest for those who believe. Lord, I, I pray that this morning, Lord, if there's anybody watching or anybody here this morning who doesn't know you as the Savior, Lord, that today they would realize that they need uh, deliverance from what's coming. And it's only found in Christ. Lord, that day of judgment is coming and may, Lord, we as believers uh, be ever more vigilant in telling men and women about you before it's eternally too late. Lord, so they might be delivered from the judgment through faith in Christ. May you bless our time now as we close. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.